0: Thanks, Ian, for reading God's word to us this morning. Well, it's great to be continuing our sermon series from the book of Galatians that uh, Paul wrote, this letter that Paul wrote to uh, the Galatian churches. Uh, There will be a question time after the sermon, so if you would like to ask a question, you can do so using slido.com with the hashtag HBSP. Now, in all my years as a builder... The one thing that I was never asked to do was to tear down somebody's house, or part of it for that matter, and rebuild it again in exactly the same way with exactly the same materials. Now I'm not talking about a renovation where you're trying to restore a house, where you might pull a stained glass window out and take it away and you know redo it and then reinstall it again. I'm talking about actually just ripping out the old and putting it back in again. I thought about this for a, for a while, and I thought, what would I do as a builder if somebody came to me and said, hey, we want to renovate our kitchen? What I want you to do is I want you to come here, I want you to rip it all out, and then once you've done that, chuck it in the skip bin, and then pull it out of the skip bin again and just reinstall it. I wondered, what would I do? What, what would I think of those people? And it turns out I would think they were a fool I mean, it's just the whole point, it's completely pointless. I mean, the entire renovation would be for nothing. It's all for nothing, isn't it? But you can imagine as well, if I came to your house to renovate your kitchen as the builder, and you went away and you came back two, three weeks later after I was finished and you realized that I had just done that, I'd pulled out your old kitchen chucked it in the skip in, and then later on pulled it out again and put it up again. How would you feel? You would think I was a fool as well, wouldn't you? Well, in the 15 years of me building, it was something that I never did, never had to do that, never been asked to do that before. But here Paul uses it as an example for us in chapter 2, verse 18. He says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, i prove myself to be a transgressor. This picture is of someone who rebuilds what they have just torn down, using the same materials, building it in exactly the same way. How foolish can a builder be? Well, here in the, very fir- in the first verse of chapter 3, That's what Paul calls the Galatians. He says, you fools. Because he sees the Galatian Christians who have been and are being transformed by the Spirit of God at work in their life, they are being convinced that instead of putting in a beautiful new kitchen, that after you've ripped out the old one, what they should do is they should just pull it out of the skip bin, and reinstall it, whatever that takes. Where they have come to understand that Christ's work was sufficient for their sin, they're now returning to the works of the law, thinking that these will now somehow justify them before God. And Paul insists that if they continue with this thinking and return to this old way of life, then Christ's death was for nothing. He has died for no purpose. As we begin, I would like to pray that we would not become fools like the Galatians. That is, that as God renovates our life, we would not attempt to try and pull out the old elementary principles of the world out of the skipping and trying to reinstall them in our lives, thinking that in some way it will help us be right before God. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we've just read that we have received the Spirit by hearing and faith, and that we continue in the Spirit by hearing and faith. So today I ask you to help us listen well, to hear what you have to say to us, and to believe it. Through your spirit, we ask that you would help us understand how you work in order that you may be glorified in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this passage uh, for this morning is actually quite a long and detailed one. We could definitely just pull out one or two uh, verses from this passage and spend weeks on it. There's plenty of memory verses that you guys have probably uh, learned over the years, and uh, there's parts of this passage that are very familiar to us. But the trouble is that if we break it up too much, we can miss sort of the big picture that uh, Paul is trying to point out. So the beauty of reading this passage is that we can understand in greater detail what Paul's primary concern is. And what we see here is that the is concerned with how the Galatian churches are continuing with their faith and the temptation they face to return to the way they once lived to return back to the skipping and how they're doing this is to accept the laws of the Jewish faith to that um so that they can be seen as being obedient to God. So the problem was that the Galatian churches, who were mostly Gentiles, were being taught by these false prophets that they must adopt the Jewish practices in order to be confident of their salvation. And this is the same issue, actually, that the, Jew, the Christians in Jerusalem had. It's not a new problem, and it's a problem that we still see today. To think that following the laws, to think that doing the right thing will gain us points somehow with God, is definitely not a new concept. And what's amazing is that Paul, who himself was a devout Jew, can actually explain to these Galatians, these Gentiles, that they have been justified through faith in Jesus Christ and not through works of the law. He wants them to realize that salvation is not on account of, sorry, is on account of God's grace rather than on the law. It is on the work of the Holy Spirit rather than the work of the flesh. So this whole passage points out the problem that arises when we're tempted to rely on works of the law to maintain a relationship with God rather than remembering that our adoption as God's children is not based on anything that we will do or have done. Our salvation begins with the work of the Holy Spirit within us and continues with the work of the Holy Spirit in us not by works of the flesh. And the truth of the matter is, is that if we rely on the works of the flesh, we too are fools. So here in this passage, Paul explains the way that we are justified, the way that we are made righteous, the way that we can be declared right in God's final judgment, and that it has nothing to do with what we do. Look at me at chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so this means that when the question arises about whether or not you're going to heaven when you die, or, you know, what happens after you die, the, the answer never comes from looking at our life. It never comes from what we have done. We can't look at our moral performances for assurance of salvation. Rather, being righteous before God becomes, comes because of what Jesus has done. It comes through hearing this news and believing with faith. Our certainty of heaven and eternal life comes from trusting in Jesus and his death and resurrection and nothing else. But the fact of the matter is that this gracious gift, this gospel by God, doesn't actually make sense to so many people. It doesn't make sense because it's not a man-made gospel. It's not what we find taught in this world. The gospel doesn't come from man but it is the truth received by man from God. And so Paul is explicit when he is explaining to the Christians in Galatia how people so often get it wrong. And he goes on to give examples at the beginning from verse 11. He shows how Peter was wrong and how the Jewish Christians were wrong. He gives these examples to warn the Galatians not to get it wrong also. And this is the same warning for us today. Paul does not want us to think that we can do anything to make ourselves right before God. We are saved because of Jesus and only because of Jesus. So let's have a quick look at these examples uh, and look at Paul's issue with Peter and the Christians in Jerusalem, starting from verse 11, chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I posed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party to his face paul says peter's actions are not in step with the gospel because peter was living like a gentile until he was around the jews and then when he was with the jews he would go back to living like them and not only that peter and the other christians around him were acting like hypocrites because when they were asked what the gentiles should do they told the gentiles that they also should live like Jews, which means that they had to observe the Jewish customs and traditions. Paul highlights for the Galatian churches the error of Peter's example. Even though Peter was born as a Jew, and he was born in that Jewish tradition, there is nothing about that tradition that saved him. There is nothing about that Jewish tradition that made them right before God. It is not the works of the law, but faith in Jesus Christ that saves them. Look with me at chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Paul says in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Our works will not save us, nor will they make us right before God. Once we have been saved. So the question then arises, what is the purpose of the law? Or another way of putting it is why do we do what we do in obedience to the law? Why do we try and obey these laws? Why do we try and obey the Old Testament law or any law for that matter? And the purpose of the law is that it is the exact thing that makes us aware of our sin. See, if we don't have a law that says you can only go 50 kilometers an hour when driving, you wouldn't actually know that it's unsafe to go faster and that you would be in danger if you did go faster. So the law highlights the danger that exists, and it draws us to attention, or draws attention to our sin and our desire to sometimes not even care about laws and not care about the danger that's within it. So this means that the law is actually in no way evil or bad. The law is actually a good thing. Laws that protect those around us and us for that matter are good And in fact, in Romans, Paul, when he writes to the Romans, he describes this even in more detail about how the Old Testament law is holy. And the commandments are holy and righteous and good. But just as we said in the confession, we can't live up to them. And so despite the fact that they are righteous and good and holy... The laws cannot cause us to be right with God. It cannot achieve justification for our sin. Instead, justification comes through faith. It's our dependence on God that is our assurance of salvation. So while we might obey the law as an outworking of our faith in God, We do not rely on it in any way for our our salvation. If the law in the Old Testament, which is holy, it's instituted by God, couldn't make the Jews right before God, then how much more is that the case for us today with the man-made laws in Australia here? We might be tempted to consider that these laws somehow make us right. We are so quick to look at these man-made laws and see them as good laws. And when we keep them, we think of ourselves as good, law-abiding people. And then we think, well, that's going to make us right with God and get us into heaven. See, when people use these laws as their foundation to live by they find that when they follow these laws, it makes them feel good. And it can ensure them that they are doing the right thing. And when they believe that they are doing something good, they're doing the right thing, it assures them that whatever happens in the future, whatever we believe that happens in the future, they're at least going to be on the right side. They're going to be on the good side. Rather than the truth of the matter is that it doesn't make a difference and they may be on the bad side. And so what they do is they have convinced themselves that they are righteous because of what they have done. And what's interesting for us who are Christians is that this also can happen for us as well. We can accept that salvation comes from Jesus to begin with, but then what we do is we can believe that how we work, how we act is actually makes a difference for our salvation too, as we continue with our walk with him. And that puts so much pressure on us. And in reality, all we're doing is we're demolishing the old kitchen and then turning around and just pulling it out of the skip bin with all its muck and gunk that we got rid of. And we're trying to reinstall it again, aren't we? And so we believe that what we do makes a difference To how we are seen by God but look what Paul says in chapter 3 verses 13 and 14 he talks about what Christ did for us chapter 3 verse 13 says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone Who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. See, Paul says here that because Jesus came to be a curse, we're no longer imprisoned by the laws. We're no longer imprisoned by the need to do the right thing because the law was always meant to point out that we can't do the right thing. We can't stand up to the measure that God has. Instead, we now, because of Christ Jesus and what he has done for us, receive the blessing of Abraham, which means that we receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Because Jesus has come, and he has become the cure for our sin. Now, to illustrate uh, this law and what it means for us in a way that might be helpful, I uh, found a scene from Uh, one of the Paddington movies. I'm sure most of you here have heard of Paddington. There was a couple movies that were made. Uh, There was two of them, Paddington 1 and Paddington 2. And in the second movie, in Paddington 2, Paddington ends up in prison. And in an attempt to save his life from the chef who was about to beat him up, he shoves his marmalade sandwich into the mouth of the chef. And the chef loves the marmalade sandwich. And so as a result, Paddington becomes his apprentice in the kitchen. And when he does that, the entire prison changes. I've got the video for us to watch. So let's watch this little video of Paddington (laughs) 2. How I want those petty powers now! Ow. So whether you agree or you should disagree You cannot disregard the truth of this philosophy Singing life would be easier, time would be breezier uh, If you love your neighbor... Okay, excuse me, Professor. What would Aunt Lucy say? Why is his kite fall? Well, then. Every one thought there is ideal happiness above Which arises from the present... Everything's more... Thank you, Paddington. If the joy is of our heaven, you wish... To this is the day and so You should try to keep your live. Resist all temptation Restraint from strife and Try to live a noble and an upright life And this too you must learn Make the best of what you earn Strictly not to leave your brothers from they all became the best of friends. The end. I don't know if you could hear the words of the song, but if you notice the words of the song that was sung in the background, it said, so if a choice of heaven you wish to partake, this is an example that you should try and emulate. Resist all temptation, restrain from strife, and try to live a normal and upright life, Make the best of what you earn. Leave your brother's property alone. And life would be easier. Life would be breezier if you loved your neighbor. I'm not singing. The words of the song, along with Paddington's sort of renovation of the prison, highlights exactly the way that our world thinks. That is, by adopting behaviors that will provide complete equality and a genuine community. By seeking to love everyone unconditionally, life will be easier, life will be breezier. But the irony is, and what Paul wants us to remember, is that these laws enslave us. And so just as Paddington strives to create a better life for himself and those around him, the reality is, They're still in prison. And in fact, the very next thing they try and do in this movie is to break out of prison because it doesn't matter what you do to the prison. It doesn't matter how pretty you make it, how delicious the food is in prison. It is still prison. Paul says this is exactly how we should view trusting in laws for our salvation Regardless of how well we uphold the laws, regardless of the kind of life that we live, without Jesus, we are still in prison. And so what we need is a prison break. We need a way out. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He has broken us out of this prison. He became a curse for us. He is the only way out. And so Paul here pleads with these Galatians. He says, don't go back to something that is pointless. Peter got it wrong. The Christian Jews got it wrong. And in fact, the Jews all the way through history got it wrong. So you guys don't get it wrong as well. After you've been freed from prison, don't go back into prison. And I want to point out one of the reasons why Paul here is so passionate about this. It's because it affects his personal calling from God. Because God gave him the task of going out to the nations to preach the gospel to the nations so that everyone would know about Jesus. His mission wasn't to bring the nations back in to Jerusalem. He was meant to take the word out to every people group on earth. He wasn't asked to round them up. He wasn't, told, asked, he wasn't asked to bring them back to Jerusalem to be involved in festi- festivals or to perform Jewish rituals. And for us, isn't this our calling as well? We too are called to take the word of God, the gospel, to the nations, we don't tell people that they need to come to church each week out of obligation and ritual in order to meet Jesus and in order to be right with God. Rather, we, we're called to meet them where they're at and welcome them in as fellow Christians and believers. Our personal calling from God is to help those who do not know Jesus understand that they are imprisoned and Jesus Christ has done what is needed to free them. And we do this in our workplaces, we do it at school, we do it with our friends and family. But what's interesting is thinking about our responsibility in this way helps us to remember that nothing we do will save us, just like nothing they do will save them. How we serve one another, how we love our neighbor, our Christian living has nothing to do with some duty or performance that makes us right with God. Instead, we help others, and we need to help them, and we actually need to help ourselves for that matter, realizing that everything we do, is because what he has done for us. And so chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, I think Paul really clarifies this idea for us. Chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who who loved me and gave himself for me. Everything we do, our life that we live, we do it because of what Christ has done for us. Our lives demonstrate His love and His sacrifice for us. So we no longer do anything out of necessity or out of obligation, but we do it in response to God's love for us as we act out our love for Him. We are no longer under a curse, we are free. Friends, when we start to worry about what the world expects of us and we start to worry about how well we do what we do, let's remember instead that our relationship with God is not dependent on how we live, but it depends on he who lives in us. And so may we live today and every day for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love and have adopted us as sons. Yet we know we have done nothing to deserve this adoption. And so we thank you for sending your son Jesus to redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Thank you that we live by your spirit through faith and in your wonderful name we pray amen well you might like to ask a question using slido.com you might like to reflect on what was being said in a few minutes uh, izzy's going to come up and we're going to sing the song for this series